Welcome back to the conversations where we discover again and again where there's a will, there's a way, and where we learn how entrepreneurs around the world are creating a great life for everyone in the company. Well, welcome to another podcast uh, of where where there's a will, there's a way. And remember, we are we're aiming it at making a great life for everybody working in every company in America. And today we have we have one of the early adopters of EOS. In fact, uh, Gina Wickman was Mike's uh, implementer and is still implementing even after two thousand and seven. Uh, Mike Morse is the owner and founder of the largest law firm in Michigan. So welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me, Will. Really excited to be here. Well, so so tell me a little bit about uh, what's this journey like with this strange guy named Gino? Strange is the operative word there. Just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, I met Gino. He was giving a speech. He was trying to drum up business back in the days when he needed to drum up clients and I remember even asking a question during his speech, and I was totally engaged. I found out what his daily price was and that I had to leave my firm and shut it down for literally eight hours. And I wasn't in a position to say yes at that point. It was a financial thing. I was being too frugal, and I didn't want to shut down because I was in that, you know, I was, I was so busy at that stage that I didn't do it. Fast forward two years, I was completely hitting the ceiling. I had just had a fire uh, at, at, at my building, and I said, I need help. I remember Gino, him and I were still corresponding. I called him. He said, come on in Friday, bring your leadership team. This is 2007, and we've been going strong four sessions a year for the last, I don't even know, 15 years, and uh, it's, been, it's been a wild ride. So he didn't talk to you about graduating then, huh? Well, it's funny you say that, Will. <laughs> At our first session, he says, you know, my average client is, a, I think he said, a year and a half to two years. And he still reminds us of that to this day. I think he calls us his advanced group. Um, but, you know, we know that we could have graduated. But having that independent person in the room, uh, that third party to hold you accountable, to keep you honest, has been uh, amazing for my organization. And I think there's been a few sessions we've skipped to try it on our own. And the, and the quarterlies are never as good without Gino. And so I met with him last Tuesday. I was in Las Vegas. The rest of my team was in Michigan. And I had to be there. And we, we were able to make it work. And uh, we're still going strong. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. So, so Gino's gotten into... Uh... Uh, the remote session then, huh? Well, he wasn't thrilled, but uh, somebody failed <laughs> to uh, docket it, and I had to be there for a talk. So he made it work. It actually works better than he thought it would work. Um, oh, Gino likes great. Gino likes either everybody there or everybody not there. And yeah, uh, if he yeah. and if he had his choice, it's everybody there. He was not yes. had a happy he was not a happy camper during COVID. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Well, that's true. Uh, we all had to learn very quickly how to how to pivot and to uh, how to how to be as great uh, remotely as we were face to face. It was amazing, just an amazing transformation. Uh, a great group of people who are able to make that kind of transmission. So, so tell us now, you as a law firm, 
using EOS. What has that meant for you? Well, first of all, I think I'm accurate to say I was Gino's first law firm. He had never have had an experience in a law firm, and that was something that I was questioning about when we first met. And it turns out, obviously, for those of you listening to this, you know the EOS model. It doesn't matter what type of business it is. Right. Um, so that was news to me. In my experience of being a lawyer, uh, I was a lawyer 15 years when I first hired Gino. I had never heard of a law firm having a coach. I've never heard of a law firm having a leadership team back then. Um, I've never heard of anybody, a law firm, taking a day and, and working on the firm, the whole concept of on the firm, in the firm. That's just not something that lawyers talk about. Uh, back then, lawyers didn't have integrators. Um, they didn't have potentially non-lawyers helping run the business. My integrator, John Nockhazel, who's uh, who was mentioned in, in Gito's book, Rocket Fuel, um, didn't, what um, wasn't a thing. And so those things were all, you know, game changers for us. And now you're really, saying John is, John is not an attorney. Correct. Ah, but he's your, in, he's your integrator. Correct. And, and what I was trying to point out was, and I probably didn't say it right, but most law firms don't have non-lawyers running the firm. Mm-hmm. Most lawyers run the firm. And we don't have business backgrounds, and we don't know the first oh. thing we're doing. I mean, I learned how to you run a you business. Did, you didn't do well in, in the uh, how to run a law firm uh, class in law school? I did not. I must have missed that being offered, because <laughs> I don't think it was offered. I don't think it's still being offered. And Gino, you know, helped me understand that and helped me understand, um, I mean, every business concept that I now know pretty darn well now after all this time, um, I learned from him in EOS. And it really, you know, helped transform me from a no-name guy in my market. And this, and I'm in a busy, uh, competitive personal injury market here in Michigan. Uh, it transformed me in a very short period of time to a very robust law firm with good business practices, um, good core values, good everything that helped me go from a solo practitioner, basically, to 170 employees, um, bringing in $50, $55 million a year in fees um, within a few years. And I couldn't have done it, you know, without everything that I've learned throughout this process. So do you think that's transferable to uh, other law firms? A hundred percent. And John Nockhazel, my you know COO slash integrator, and I, um, after working with Gino for so long, we wrote a book for law firms called Fireproof, which I'm holding up here, which Gino wrote the uh, preface to this and the introduction. And basically, it's uh, EOS for lawyers. Um, we praise EOS in the book. We you know wanted to um, be truthful and honest where we learned all this great stuff from. And we tweaked some things in EOS, um, and we made it, uh, specific for law firms, things that law firms, um, need to know. And, and just basically putting our own spin on it. Um, but of course, paying homage to EOS throughout the process. And it's absolutely transferable because of the book. We've, we've, we've talked to thousands of law firms who have grown their practices, who've run better practices because of the book. We are now coaching uh, law firms 
throughout this country because of what we've learned, because of the book. We have a fireproof masterclass right now that we're offering online, which is videos and tools that we have come up with um, to help law firms. So it's a long answer to absolutely this is transferable to not only law firms, but you know we believe to every business out there. But we, have, of course, have a specialty in teaching law firms. Well, now, now, if if uh, an implementer wanted to wanted to help law firms, what would what would that implementer say? What would be attractive? What would get the attention of senior partners in a law firm? It's funny you say that because I've had at least half a dozen implementers order fifty books and use them as sales tools to other businesses, not law firms. Quite frankly. Oh. Um, it's easy to send it to a law firm, and that's an easy sales tool for an, for an uh, implementer. Um, but this really is a book. According, so it, implementers taught me this. The book just shows how successful EOS can be in a regular business, and mm-hmm. and we all know that you know. Uh, I mean, they're sending this to dentists and doctors and architects and construction law construction firms because. We just showed how we took EOS, adopted it for our firm, made some tweaks, and ran with it and helped blow up our practice. So if an implementer came to me and said, how, should, how can I attract law firms? It's really going in and, I think, assessing their current leadership structure, uh, which usually is not great, their, their accountability charts. Do they even have an, a visionary, an integrator? Uh, do they understand what those concepts means? Uh, we call them jumbotrons in our book, but uh, what does a what do their scorecards look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and on and on. And and most not hugely sophisticated law firms are really struggling in all of these areas. Don't understand it. Um, don't look at their data on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Most law firm owners are being the visionary and the integrator. Um, and that's why they're not able to scale, and they don't know that. Um, most law firms don't have coaches, don't have um, either weekly coaches, which is something that we actually offer, or even quarterly coaches like EOS offers. Um, they just don't have them. They don't know from that. And you know, we've you know we've worked with over thirty uh, law firms individually um, throughout this country, and and their eyes uh, are huge when they learn some of these concepts that they should be doing to run a really good law firm. Because, you know, the traditional way to look at this is law firms are not businesses. They're law firms. <laughs> and and I know it's silly to say, because you and I get it, we drink the Kool-Aid, but there's 95% of the law firms out there don't. So it is fertile ground for implementers to go out there and get them and teach them. And uh-huh. that's what we're trying to do is, is spread the gospel and and teach them how to run a really good business. All right. So from a from a, a law firm principal's perspective, what would they need to hear to say, yeah, come on in, let's take a look at what we have? What would they need to to think, uh, feel, or believe? It's a good one. I think most law firm owners are doing too much. They're hitting the ceiling. They're not working in their sweet spots. They're not enjoying life. They're not working on what they love to do and what they're great at. They don't know how to delegate. They, they don't know their numbers. 
one of the first things I do when a law firm calls me for advice or asks me to maybe coach them, I start asking them about their average value of cases and percentages and, you know, things that I, that the things they should know, but, but I, but I'm pretty sure they don't know. And these aren't hard questions. These are basic questions that they, they say, I, I know it's somewhere, but I don't know that off the top of their head. How many cases did you sign up last week? You know, simple questions that I know to the penny, to the caseload that they don't know because they don't know their numbers. Um, that is enticing to them. The fact that they are doing way too much, the fact that they admit that they're terrible delegators, the fact that they're that you can ask a few questions and prove that they're hitting the ceiling, right? And what if there's a way that I could teach you to, you know, not hit the ceiling? What if there was a way, I, what if I could teach you, Will, a way that you could work on all day, every day, things that you're great at doing and that you love to do? Would you love, would you like to hear more about that? Who's going to say no to that? Yeah, you know, yeah. they're going to make more money. They're going to have happier lives. They're going to be freed up to do all the things that they want to do, whether it be in their business, on their business, with their kids, with a new sport, whatever it is. You know, the original reason, not only did I, you know, when I, when I signed up with Gino, it wasn't to make more money necessarily. It wasn't. It was, I was having, I had three young kids and I didn't want to miss a soccer game. I didn't want to miss a dance recital. And so that was my why. It wasn't to scale. It wasn't to make more money. So my why was different than a lot of law firm owners' whys, but it doesn't matter. When I'm coaching a law firm or a business, we tell, we coach other businesses other than law firms, I'll say, you know, I'm going to free you up. I'm gonna, I may free you up 50, 60, 70%. And what you do with that time is up to you. If you want to go take up golf or be with your kids or travel the world or work on your business, that's up to you. And, you know, they love that. And a lot of people do end up working on their business because most people love their businesses, mm -hmm. but they're doing it in a different way. They're working on things that they love to do. And when I take them through the delegate and elevate chart, you know, it's, it's, it's mind blowing to them that they could get rid of those lesser things that they shouldn't be doing. That's kind of beneath right. them. Right. Um, yeah. It's a really interesting exercise. Well, now uh, I hear that, that uh, it it will help senior partners in a law firm to do what they love doing, learn how to delegate, uh, so they can elevate to the thing that they love doing, their unique unique ability. Uh, does does this help a law firm uh, make a greater contribution to making the world a better place? I think so. I mean, you're first of all, you're producing happier people. It's not just for the visionary or the COO of the law firms. It's for the entire leadership team. And we, of course, trickle this down to our entire team and staff of 170 people. Some of them are in other countries and in the world. Um, we, uh, One of our uniques at our firm is that we give back to our community. And we uh, have lots of initiatives. And our biggest initiative is actually giving um, kids who need backpacks full of supplies to kids who need them every year. We've given over 200,000 backpacks. Um, so in our community, I think we're making a big difference. Um, we are now taking that on the road with the book. And we have, I think, seven or eight law firms in different cities around this country, um, buying backpacks full of supplies for kids in their area who need them. So I think we're making a reach. I think that, you know, learning the things that we've learned and making a difference in our law firm is definitely spreading. 
and making the world a better place. Yeah, yeah. Now, it, it, talk to me a little bit about um, when when you made this shift. What did this mean for you personally? So I was the typical entrepreneur. I'm the typical visionary. I have 10 ideas a day. I couldn't get them done. I knew that there were clients out there who needed my help. And I couldn't figure out, I had, I think I had 25, 27 people when I hired my implementer slash COO, we call them here. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, that was, that was, I mean, I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't move. I couldn't grow. And so by hiring him, it personally freed me up on the first day of meeting with Gino. First day, 50% freedom. And I tell that story in the book, Fireproof, about how Gino took me through this exercise, how, how he got me to be vulnerable in front of my very small leadership team of three other people. And how they heard me for the first time and how I was able to get the words out that I needed help. And all three of those individuals, two of whom are still with me, one of them who did such a fabulous job, she was able to retire in her 50s and moved to Arizona, um, took on some of the bigger tasks that I was dealing with. And that day, I think it was a Friday, and I got back to my office on Monday, and I had 50% less work. So my visionary superpowers were able to kick in and come up with even more ideas and even figure out ways to help more clients. And we grew from 25 people to 170 people in a very short period of time. We went to revenue. We were settling about $17 million worth of cases to $160 million worth of cases in a very short period of time because the visionary myself was able to free myself up and... It, it exploded. Had I yeah. not done this, I'd still have 30 employees. I'd still not be able to help as, you know, I'm helping thousands of clients a year. I would not have been able to help this many people had I not figured this out. So, you know, it helped me professionally. It helped me personally, which I think was your question. I also never, to this day, my kids are now grown, although I still have a 14 year old, but I've never missed a soccer game, a recital. Uh, I bake, I made a lunch this morning for my 14 year old. I drove her to school today. Uh, I'm picking her up this afternoon. I, because of this system, the system that, that Gino taught me and the system that we have, you know, turned it into, I have a fabulous personal life and, uh, even, I mean, not more fabulous business life, but I have a great business life. I work on exactly what I want to work on. I don't do things I don't love to do. I don't do things I'm not great at. And so I basically love my life and I, uh, you know, I do owe it all to this process. All right. So when, when you talk about delegating, who do you delegate things to? Depends who's uniquely qualified to take it. There's not one person, uh, that I delegate all my work to. I mean, I, I did, I have a whole story about this, Will, but you know, I have a I I read the chapter in traction about executive track, the executive assistant track, I think basically what he calls it. And uh, I was resistant to that for several years. I didn't want some stranger looking at my emails and doing all my scheduling. And so I have a I have a high level executive assistant who gets a lot of my work, who helps me do all the things that I don't want to deal with, like paying credit card bills and paying tuition and 
you know, taking my dog to the vet and all those things. She does everything for me so I can do what I want to do. I don't think there's any glory in doing, you know, some of the things that most people do because they think they have to do it. Um, she does a lot of that. Um, my COO, John Nockhazel, uh, sometimes I delegate to him and then he finds the appropriate person to do it. I have 170 employees that I'm able to choose from. Um, I also can pick independent contractors if I want. Um, so, you know, I can delegate to anybody I want, uh, but I'm looking for the right person with the right skill set who understands what I'm trying to get done. I don't just, I don't just throw it out there to anybody. Now, well, this is a question for you. Does your, do you get the sense that your executive assistant enjoys, loves doing the things that you delegate to her? 100%. 100%. I, so I had to go through two or three executive assistants until I found her. And I made the mistake of finding some younger people to do the things that, that I wanted done. And they got bored very quickly. And they're still with my company. Just I, I moved them. I moved their seats. I moved their seats. And yes. then I found my, you know, um, I had a, a mentor named Steve Radom, who has who's since passed away, um, who I mentioned in the book. But Steve was one of my, my first mentor, my first business coach, unofficial, my father-in-law. And um, he said, find somebody whose life mission it is to take care of you. It might be an older person. It might be somebody who's taken care of people before. Somebody who wants to be the the the, the mother hen of you and and, and the firm, um, and and be very honest in the interview process. Like, I mean, I could tell you some embarrassing things that I have her do, and people may <laughs> judge me for it. But quite frankly, I don't care at this point in my career. But you know, I bring my dog to work some days, and if I'm in meetings all day and I can't walk the dog, she walks the dog. And she may pick up the poop of the dog and she may, you know, if I can't get to my house to let the plumber in because nobody's there, she may go to the house and do that stuff. So I can work on the things that I need to work on and want to work on. And I asked, I asked her about that in the interview. And so I was very transparent. I don't just throw things on people. So I think it's really important. You know, we do, we do, we do a lot of uh, uh, testing and make people take assessments before they work at our firm. Um, to make sure they have the aptitude and the ability and the want to do things. And I do think it's just being honest in that interview process. Um, Look, I'm going to, you know, you're going to do some high level stuff. You're going to do some low level stuff. It's, but it's going to help my life and and don't take this job if you don't want to do X, Y, and Z. Right. And And it's not, it's not just that you're willing to do it. I'm willing to put up with the dog poop. Right. There's something about getting clear I want to do these things, uh, and and it's it's for a larger picture. I mean, it's not. I love picking up dog poop. It's I get that's. I'm putting words into somebody's mouth, but I'm going to take that liberty for a moment. I get joy out of doing these things so that Mike can do these other things. It's a really good point, Will. It's a really good point, and and it's it takes a unique person. I don't think that's an easy job um to to fill to be quite honest well, um, well at the same time th- uh, you know w- when i talk to people about only doing what you love doing and then they say well i want to become an architect but i hate school well if you're really clear i mean i think this is what dan sullivan 
teaches all of us. If you're really clear about what you want, yes, there are things that you may not love doing along the way, but that is the path to getting what you really want. Good, well said. Good point. And 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 that what I've found in in working with people uh, as as they come to understand, first of all, that they don't have to figure everything out. They don't have to do it themselves. That entrepreneurial, I can do it. Watch me. Uh, you don't have to do that. Uh, that's the the who, not how. And and that who is always the one that we delegate to is always one who clearly understands, like, I I really appreciate that you're so transparent about what the job is, but it's, it's not, it's not just sorting pencils and making sure there's enough legal pads in the, in the office. It's loving doing all of that organization and providing and supplying. And, and there are people like that in the world. That's the message I heard from my father-in-law who says, find somebody who likes to be a caretaker. Yeah. You know, and it's not, it could be a caretaker, somebody who takes care of sick people. Uh, you know, there are people who love being nurses and hospice workers and whatever. And then there's people who love taking care of business people. She was a former executive assistant for a, a couple of high level business people. And they're few and far between. And yeah. you got to find them. You got to pay them well. You got to treat them well. well be transparent. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not like, uh, you're doing a lower level job so I can pay you a lower level. It's like, look at what she, in this particular case, is freeing you up to do the things that you love. And is that not valuable? (laughs) Of course it is. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, so it has freed you up to do what you love doing. Now, what, uh, tell me about the, how, how for you, people that you love working with, how does that work? Re- reframe that for me. Well, do you love the people that you're working with? Oh, of course I do. I love the people I'm working with. Um, I do. We are. This is my family. This is my baby. This law firm. Um, I. I don't know. I don't have a nice way of saying my uh, ism that I use, but I won't work with jerks. I won't <laughs> work. Um, you know, I. It's very important that I work with people that I like and that I want to be around and that I want to go have lunch with. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we are we are a family here. We, you know, I, I love going to dinners. We do executive dinners uh, every quarter. Um, I was with my executive team this morning for our level 10. And um, these are all rock stars. And uh, this is my family away from my family. And, and and that that certainly has to do with that accountability chart, doesn't it? To make sure you got the right people in the right seats. Absolutely. So, I mean, so that's another thing that law firms don't have. If you called any law firm today that doesn't work with EOS or Fireproof, they do not have an accountability chart. They've never heard of an accountability chart. I've never heard of an accountability chart before I started working with Gino. And once I started seeing it, it made sense. It made no sense until he explained it to us. Yeah, uh, I'm a law firm. I'm a lawyer. I got a secretary. I got a paralegal. I got clients. Leave me alone. That's why 90 whatever percent of law firms have three, four five people, because that's all they could figure out. That's all they could manage because uh-huh. they don't realize that there's another option. Yeah, that's another so, good question. Will, if you're going to interview an inter- a, a law firm to be an implementer for them or one of your implementers are going to interview a law firm, 
Let me see your organizational chart slash accountability chart. Go, go get it for me. They're going to be like, <laughs> what's that? Well, you know, who does what in the firm? And I want to see the structure and how, who reports to who. I'm promising you 98 out of 100 firms are going to have no clue what, what you're talking about. And that's another way to get your foot in the door to help this firm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, all right. Now, now what the, the, the right people is they fit your core values. So what are your core values for, for the firm? Well, I'll give you a, I'll give you a few of our highlights. Okay. Um, we are, the law firm is, Mike Morse Law Firm, phone number is 855-MIKE-WINS. One of our core values is dedicated to winning. Everybody at my firm must be dedicated to winning. Uh, losing is not an option. Losing is unacceptable. And if you lose a case, if you lose a motion, you have that uncomfortable, sick, acidy feeling in your stomach. And if you don't have that and you don't care one way or the other, this is not the place for you. Another one is outrageous customer service. We want our clients feeling the love from that first phone call to the final disbursement of their case. And I've met with half a dozen uh, clients today who all said, thank you for introducing me to this lawyer at your firm. Um, they were a godsend. And I heard that from six different clients, about six different lawyers. And just today, Will, I just said, you know, these core values um, are amazing because it, they really have worked. Over 15 years, we have hired people who are not only dedicated to winning and outstanding customer service, but produce great work, right? Are not okay with putting out something with typos or that aren't complete. Um, it's it's just it's just super important. So um, we, you know, our core values are uh, really important to us, and we hire, fire, reward, and recognize on them. And it's one of the first things we do with a new law firm coaching client is make sure they have great core values that are unique yeah. to that firm. And uh, it's it's really been a game changer. All right, so let's let's talk a little bit about Gino's latest book, and 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 of course, this came out of his conversation with Don Tinney, as he says in the book over over years, his partner, uh, and 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 what what this is is five things that that uh, you only do what you love doing with people that you love. You're making a great contribution. You're making the world a better place. You are. Uh, being compensated appropriately, and 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 you have plenty of time left over for your other passions and your family. So, d- does that come out of of your experience? So, one hundred percent. I am. I love what I do in my law firm and in my coaching uh, of Fireproof. Um, I, I I work with people I love. Um, I think we are making a great contribution to our community, um, and making the world a better place. Um, I am definitely compensated appropriately as is my, uh, I, I think and hope everybody that works with us. And I absolutely have other passions that I am able to engage in because I'm so freed up because I'm such a good delegator, because I have such a good organization and organizational chart. And we are, we are pretty darn pure to the fact that I'm the visionary 
and and the three or four or five things that I'm great at and love to do are all I do for my firm. Every once in a while, I have to cross lines and 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 you know do some other things. But I took two. I, I hired two lawyers last week. I took them both to lunch today. That's in my column. It's it's mentoring and training uh-huh. uh, lawyers. That's one of my five things. Uh, I met with clients today. Another one of them. So I am living uh, a pure EOS life, I think, uh, with a fireproof spin on it. Yeah. And um, um, I think, you know, the book sums up my life and yeah. I have a pretty darn good life. So when you say the five things, those are the five things in the box uh, defining what your role is, uh, the tasks that a, a visionary has for you. Well, I was I was referring to the EOS life five things. Oh, those five things. That, okay. that's what right. you were, that was what the original uh, sure. question was. But okay, yeah. I am also truly living, you know, in my organizational life, uh, in my life at the firm, I, I'm, you know, there's four or five things that I don't have to memorize because I said them 15 years ago, but I've lived them and a couple of them are mentoring, um, mentoring attorneys and holding the big relationships with my clients that I uh-huh. still love to do. I still love to be with my clients and connect with my clients. And uh, those are two of the things that that I still do to this day, and I love to do. Um, uh-huh. And so, yeah, I and the five things in the U.S. Life Book, I think are I think are definitely great goals that if you do embrace. Uh, this is a lifestyle as a business lifestyle. It really does work. Um, uh-huh. It's not pie in the sky. It's takes some time. Right. It's not overnight. Yeah. You don't read the book and wake up and you're living <laughs> these five things. Absolutely not. Uh, right. It took me, it's taken me 15 years. I mean, I've been here for several years, but it takes some time to really, really work it. Um, and, uh, but, but it definitely works. I can tell you that. So how how have you rolled out? Now, maybe these five things articulated this particular way are are fairly new, but but the spirit of them have been there from the beginning. How have you rolled out through the organization down to down to the programmers, the pencil, you know, the 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 uh you got paralegals, you've got uh, assistants. How have you rolled out this whole idea of only doing what you love doing, delegate and elevate, uh, uh, live out these core values? If you're, if you don't feel you're compensated appropriately, what are they supposed to do? Those kind of questions. How have you rolled that out to the organization? So from the week after we started with Gino till actually this coming Monday, we've done quarterly state of the firms where I stand up in front of when I had 30 people and now I have 170 people and I go through where we came from in the last quarter, what our goals are for this quarter, where we're going to be in a year and three years and five years, uh, what initiatives are we working on, et cetera, right? Everything in between um, and talking about how to delegate and talking about sweet spot and talking about um, making a contribution in our community and doing what you love to do. And, you know, it's hard with employees. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush or bullshit anybody that, you know, it's, um, it's important for all these things, but you, you know, when you have a big organization, 150, 170 people, you hope that people are doing what they love to do. You hope that my 
executive assistants and my file managers and my secretaries and paralegals and receptionists and the guys in the file room love what they do, right? Each and every day. Uh, it's an individual choice for them. I can't go around and make sure that they do. Uh, I hope they do. I create an environment where they really could love it. I do have longevity. I have more uh-huh. people who've been here for over 10 years and now over 15 years. That uh, blows my mind, especially because I've only been really hiring people for about 17 years. And I have several people here over 15. It's, it's uh-huh. pretty amazing. Um, so I think, I mean, I, I, it's hard, again, it's hard to interview people, every person to make sure they're working in their sweet spots, but I yeah. think they are because they're here. And, yeah. and if you have, yeah. you know, and I'm somebody with very low turnover, it's under 10%. Wow. Uh, the national average is way above that. And I So you didn't have any great resignation stuff going on with you, huh? That's a whole different topic, Will. And I did not <laughs> because I embraced work from home early uh-huh. and I decided controversial or not to keep it around. Yeah, so my yeah, 170 yeah. person organization, uh, we're remote unless well, you want to no. be in the office. But that, that, that's what I was going to ask is it's not, you're going to be remote because we're going to shut down the office and you have no choice. This was, this was, if this is what you want to do, we're going to make it work for you. Yeah. And it's, you know, a lot of these questions, Will, I've never thought about. Um, and I, we did that because, uh, you know, we care about our community. We care about our staff and uh, COVID through every single business for a curveball. And yeah. I stressed with my leadership team every week for a year and a half, two years during COVID. Like my office is a ghost town. I know lawyers around the country who forced their t- teams to come back. Yeah. A lot of people quit. A lot of people yeah. stayed, but you know, they're not happy. Yeah. And so I decided I cared enough about my staff. I trusted. That's a big word, right? I trusted yes. my staff. Yes. That they were going to hold themselves accountable. I have robust scorecards that I'm watching all the important data. So I know if people are working, I know if cases are being settled and moved and signed up. Yep. And because yep. I have that in place, I felt, okay, you want to work from home? Do it. And I believe in fairness, Will. And I had secretaries and others move out of state during COVID to continue to work. Yes. So, and they're still in Florida. And so am I going to make somebody drive in 45 minutes, Chris, because I want to feel, see their face, or <laughs> am I going to give them the same freedom and trust that I give my secretary who moved to Florida? And I didn't feel it was right to drag them all back. But I'll right. tell you, nine out of 10 law firms I know made everybody come back. So I am not, I am not the norm when it comes to what I'm describing to you. Now, my lawyers have to come in to see their clients. My lawyers have to go to court. My lawyers are mostly in the office, but I don't make them in the office. But I say, look, when a client wants to be with you face to face, you got to be in the office. Right, but if you don't, right. this isn't a place for you to be. Right, right. Because outrageous customer service is not can't be done always at home. Right. So right. Uh, we're living up to our core values. And I thought, you know, let them work from home. It's worked for us. And uh, after I made that decision, uh, it was a lot easier. It was a huge weight off my shoulder because... I wasn't sure, but I have such a good leadership right. team. We talked it out, and uh, with their help and their support and their guidance, uh, I decided to let people work from home. 
And I'll tell you, there's certain days I, I get sad about not seeing my staff. And I walk, I have 35,000 feet of space. <laughs> it feels like 3,000 is being used. And yeah. that's a little depressing on certain yeah. days. Yeah, right, but, right. But the numbers are showing that, that my team stepped up, is doing the work. The numbers are good. The clients are happy. So I had to put my ego aside and say, if you want to work from home, work from home. Well, and, and I think that happened for a lot of entrepreneurs in, in COVID. Uh, I had a client, a specific client, who called me two weeks after the lockdown in March. And, and he said, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Because my, my people are all at home and, and I, I'm looking around. I don't see them in the seats around me. And so I don't know that they are going to be productive. I don't, I don't believe that they're going to get anything done. And he and and over the next month, he shifted from the traditional way of thinking of productivity was eight to five people are here, they're working, and he shifted from that to looking precisely what you're saying. He shifted to look at the product, look at what they're the results of what they did, and when he looked at the results, he found out that they were even better results than when they were sitting in the chair. Wow. And that was a big shift that not only he did, but every one of my clients had to do to really beef up their attention to the scorecard and and getting really clear about expectations, about what the project is, and negotiating that together so that everybody understood that. And this is part of the management, that, that not only does the person understand what the manager's expectations are, the manager understands what the person's expectations are. And, and so by doing that, then the productivity went up, morale went up, even though they were separated. Now, fortunately, Zoom helped us in that transition, but it's just a wonderful shift to productivity. Is it, We measure productivity by what you actually did rather than where you were. Probably the biggest surprise through COVID that I think most business owners realized, in my opinion, not a scientific survey, is how well any organization did at home. Because every organization was at home. Every, mm -hmm. I, I mean, unless you're a doctor's office, truly, you're, you're right. I mean, I can't think of other businesses, but you're truly home. And every business I've ever talked to, I read a lot of articles, a lot of newspapers, a lot of books. Um, my sense is the overwhelming majority of businesses uh, did well at home, and the business owners were surprised that they did well at home, and and that it's it's you know it's a new day, and some businesses are starting to bring people back, but um, a lot aren't. Um, I mean, a lot aren't. Well, what what I believe happened. Now, this is just my perception. What I believe happened was when COVID shut everything down, that meant that people had to take responsibility in ways that they had not had to take for a long time, if ever. They had to take responsibility for the money. The check is not coming like it did before. So if I need more money, I have to find a way to do that. Uh, my kids need to be educated and I have to take responsibility for organizing that one way or another. 
uh, I have to take responsibility for my health because there's so many, so many different uh, statements and theories and and uh, requirements. I have to take responsibility for that. I have to take responsibility for relationships. All of these things for two years, people had to literally take responsibility for themselves. They couldn't whine and and pretend that it was somebody else's, uh, you know, making them do it. It was. I get to do what I choose to do. And now, two years later, some businesses are saying, come back and we're going to treat you like we did before. And I think a lot of people are saying, wait a minute, I discovered I have agency. I can make a difference. I can take responsibility for myself. Do you want to talk about how I can make a contribution to your organization and talk about what you're going to do for me? in the midst of that. And I think that's a huge shift that I don't think is going to go away in our lifetime. You know what? Time will tell. (laughs) Yeah, this has been wonderful, Michael. I really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, If somebody wanted to talk to you, how would they get in touch with you? Well, uh, a few ways. My email is mike at 855mikewins.com. Our website for the Fireproof book is fireproofperformance.com. It's available on Amazon. Um, and uh, the Fireproof Masterclass is fireproofmasterclass.com. And uh, they can email me or check out the book. Um, and, yeah. and, and I will I will make an offer as well. If somebody wants a copy of Fireproof, they can get in touch with me, and I will give them a copy of Fireproof. Wow. Very nice of you. Thanks, thanks, Will. I really appreciate that. Um, that's great. This has been a lot of fun. All right. Well, this is just another example of how if there's a will, there's a way. And and Michael has certainly shown us shown us how when he decided to work with Gino Wickman that it changed not only his business but his life and the lives of lots of people that he's working with uh, on all sorts of levels. So. This is a wonderful experience. So if you haven't read uh, The EOS Life, I encourage you to find a copy. And if you want a copy, let me know. I'll make sure you get a copy for free. So this is just another example of how businesses thrive when they take responsibility and have a system for organizing that business to accomplish what they really want to have done. You have been listening to Where There's a Will, There's a Way with Will Christ. If anything resonated with you, you can find tools to help you and your leadership team create a great life for everyone in your company at willchrist.com. Come and join the conversation at willchrist.com. Willchrist.com.